Well, hello, welcome. If you're new, my name's Jonathan. I'm the lead pastor here at Ridge Church, and just glad that you're joining us. Uh, you know, it's easy for me to tell you that I'm the lead pastor here because obviously you're tuning in uh, to hear and to, you know, listen to the sermon today and the part of the service. Uh, but when I get outside of the church or a setting like this, when I get in the context of people who don't know uh, much about Christianity or not much about church, then it gets uh, definitely more tricky for me to explain to people who I am and, and what I'm about. And when I tell them I'm a pastor, man, I get all kinds of different responses. Probably my favorite one that I've had over the years uh, was at a party that I once went to. It was an engagement party for my brother-in-law and his fiancée a number of years ago. And, uh, and we didn't, my wife Newell and I didn't really know a lot of people there. So I was just off on one side, holding my drink, kind of standing there. And this super friendly guy came up and just began talking with me. And, and we had this great conversation. And it turns out he was a salesman. He was fairly successful in his sales. And, and, uh, and we just, we had a lot of fun talking. But, but the more he talked, the more relaxed he got. In fact, uh, the more he talked, the more colorful his language got. And, and he began going into more details about this, the sales that he had done and how he'd gotten them kind of by being not entirely honest. And, and I mean, it was clear about a few minutes in that he'd had plenty to drink already. Uh, and he just kept going. And we had fun. We laughed and talked. And about 15 minutes in, he realized he hadn't asked anything about me. And so all of a sudden, he just turned to me and he said to me, uh, what kind of work do you do? And I said to him, well, I'm a pastor. And you could see literally, he, he, everything just stopped for a minute. You could see the, the, the gears in his brain just trying to process what it was that he just heard. And then his mouth dropped open, his eyes got big, and he said to me, you're a priest? And I said, wait, I tried to explain that priest is different than pastor. But be, before I could explain all of that, my wife came up. And I mean, it was a party. She was dressed really nice. I just put my arms around her and I said, this is my wife, Nula. And he looked at me. He said, you're a priest and you're married. And I said, wait, wait, wait. And I, I tried to explain what was going on. But before I got much further, he just looked at his, his drink, which was actually half full. He's like, I need another drink. And just like that, he turned and left, and I never saw him again that night. Uh, but, you know, people have these different understandings, these different stereotypes about what pastors are, but also about what, who Christians are. In fact, if all of the, the, the idea that they have comes from either the media or what they've seen on TV and stuff, then they often have wrong or very narrow understandings of what it means to be a Christian. And so it can be tricky for me, and I suspect tricky for you to be able to communicate to people, this is who I am, I follow Jesus, this is, this is what I'm all about. Probably the most famous story about identifying yourself as a follower of Jesus is the one we're going to look at today. It's the story of Peter. He was, if you're not familiar with Peter, he was like the leader of the disciples. And the story that we come to today, uh, he had an opportunity not once, not twice, but three times to publicly identify himself as a follower of Jesus, and he didn't. And while the stakes for him were much higher than they are for us, nevertheless, there's a lot we can learn from Peter's story and what happens here to help us inform for ourselves how it is that we should consider identifying ourselves as followers of Jesus. Now, if you've been tracking with us in this series, you know that we've been talking about the passion of Jesus. That is his suffering and his death. And, and uh, if you were here last week, you remember that Pastor Dan uh, walked us through what was the, the first trial that Jesus endured after he was arrested. 
happened in the middle of the night in someone's home. So, you know, a secret trial in the middle of the night is not really a recipe for a fair trial. And in the middle of the night, they could find nothing legitimate to charge Jesus with. And so finally, the high priest said to him, I charge you, are you the Son of God, the Messiah? And Jesus basically said, yes, I am. And in that moment, Jesus publicly identified who he was, knowing the great cost that would come for it. And, and the, the high priest and those who were enemies of Christ, I mean, they exploded in rage. and They began to slap him. And then they turned him over to their henchmen who began to beat him, to physically beat him. And this is the context in which this other story that we're going to look at today takes place. The, the trial happened in, in the upstairs room of the house of the high priest. And down below was a courtyard where there was this fire where some of the servants and some bystanders and Peter himself were. And it's possible and we don't know, but it's possible that they could literally hear the screams of Jesus in pain as he was being beaten while this story takes place. We don't know for sure. Either way, either way, Jesus is being beaten while this happens. But this is the story. It's found in Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 66. Here's what it says. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. The story begins with Peter sitting at a fire in a courtyard. He's just warming himself. And, and the servant girl of the high priest comes by and she says to him, Look, you're one of the followers of Jesus, aren't you? And instantly with that simple question... Peter is thrust into this very pivotal moment in his life and he has to decide in that instant how he will answer this question. Are you publicly going to identify yourself as a follower of Jesus or not? And of course, you and I, we've had these moments, haven't we? Not obviously, you know, we might not have been outright asked if we're a Christian the way that, that Peter was, but there come these moments in conversations where we have an opportunity to publicly identify ourselves with Jesus or not. And in that moment, we have to make a decision. I mean, sometimes it happens when someone says to you, well, how was your weekend? What did you do this weekend? And you have an opportunity to say what you did on Friday night and on Saturday all day. But when it comes to Sunday morning, you can decide whether you're going to skip over going to church or if you're going to add, and I went to church on Sunday morning. Other times, someone will tell you, you know, some hard news that happened in their life. And in that moment, you have a decision to make. Are you going to just commiserate with them? Or are you going to commiserate with them and say, you know, could I pray for you? Because in that moment, you identify yourself as someone who's following Jesus. Or sometimes you just have an opportunity where someone says to you, tell me about yourself. I mean, I haven't met you before. Who are you? What, what makes you you? And in that moment, you have to decide whether you're going to include Jesus and following him as a fundamental part of who you are, or if you're just going to stick with your work and your family and your friends and, and your hobbies. I mean, we all have these kinds of moments 
where the opportunity is for us either to declare publicly, I'm a follower of Jesus, or to allow it to slide by. And, 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 and like Peter, it can be a tricky thing to do, can't it? I mean, P Peter finds himself in this courtyard with these people that, that don't know Jesus. In fact, all they know about Jesus is what they've heard from their bosses, and their bosses are the high priests. So clearly they've not heard a lot of good things about Jesus. In fact, we see this in the, in the phrase that the, in, in the term that the servant of the high priest uses. She says, you were with the Nazarene, Jesus. Now that term Nazarene, that was like a derogatory term. Nazarene was not like a very, it was not a great term. You see, at Nazareth, which is where Jesus was from, that's why they referred to him as a Nazarene, uh, was in the region of Galilee. And Galilean in general, were looked down upon by the people in Jerusalem. They were considered backwater, uh, uneducated hicks uh, who caused lots of problems. In fact, uh, the ancient historian uh, Josephus, he, he said, he described all Galileans as, quote, antagonistic from childhood on. He said they're all troublemakers from that region. And on top of that, within Galilee, Nazareth itself was the butt of jokes. Uh, you remember, uh, maybe you remember, uh, Andrew, one of the first disciples, when he found his buddy Nathaniel, he said, we've found the Messiah, he's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel's like, really, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? I mean, that, that's, that's the kind of stereotypes that were out there about people from Nazareth, and in particular about Jesus. So when the servant girl said to, to Peter, you're with the Nazarene, she's already tipping her hand about the kind of stereotypes that she and the others have about who Jesus is and what his followers are like. On top of that, at that very moment, Jesus was being beaten and flogged for identifying himself for who he was. So for Peter to publicly identify with Jesus, I mean, there was a cost there for him. On the other hand, on the other hand, Jesus had changed Peter's life. Jesus had met Peter and called Peter and, and, and showed Peter a new way to live life. He performed miracles in front of Peter and for Peter's family. I mean, he had talked to him about, about a life after this life that is so pure and beautiful and this way of living. I mean, Jesus utterly transformed who Peter is and what his life was all about. In fact, literally, Literally hours before this, Peter had promised, he had sworn that he would not only not deny Jesus, but that he would literally die for him. And now he has this moment. The moment has come where he has to decide, will he publicly, will he publicly identify with Jesus or not? And for us too, like Peter, it can be tricky, can't it? I mean, these days Christianity doesn't have a great reputation. Certainly the media does not ever or very rarely portrays us in a, in a good light. And on top of that, there's been a bunch of very high-profile Christians who have not acted in a particularly Christian kind of a way. I mean, sometimes it's been embarrassing, sometimes just deeply disappointing. Some have had moral failures, and, and some have just not represented Christ well as they have interacted with, with the people around them. And, and some have been just downright mean and nasty and lacking the kind of grace that Jesus calls us to. And, and, and on top of that, our whole culture has kind of shifted away from, from belief in a Christian worldview. It's seen these days among many in our world as being kind of a leftover from a previous age, kind of, 
kind of backwater and, and kind of yawn. I mean, there, there are all these stereotypes out there about Christianity. On the other hand, for us, I mean, Jesus has changed our life. Jesus, I mean, we came, came to faith in Jesus and we didn't just take on a new set of values. We became a new person. It, it changed the, us at the deepest fundamentalist core of our being. It, it changed our identity. You know, that's why when we baptize people, when they publicly profess their faith in Christ, that's why we dunk them under the water. Because it's symbolic. When they go under the water, the picture is of them, of the old them, the them before Jesus died and being buried. And then when we raise them up, it's a picture of the new them, the, 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 the them that lives in light of the resurrection of Jesus coming to new life. So it's more than just, hey, a new, a new title, a new set of sort of rules to live by, although it's not about that. It's about a new identity. That's why the Apostle Paul, I mean, he talks about it this way. He says this, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. See, this is what the Apostle Paul is talking about. We have a change in our very sense of identity. So how then could we not include that when we tell someone who we are? How could that not be the center of who we are when we identify ourselves publicly to the world around us? But it's tricky, isn't it? And yet, unlike Peter, we must regularly, among the people we interact with, we must identify ourselves as followers of Jesus if we're going to be faithful both to what Jesus calls us to do, but also to our identity as a human being. The question is, how do we do that? And how do we do that well? And in fact, we can look at Peter's situation and learn from him, both from what he did right and from where he went wrong. And in fact, there's a number of things that Peter did right in this situation. For starters, Peter looks pretty much like everyone else around the fire. They don't know if he's a follower of Jesus. That's why they have to ask him. If Peter had walked into that, into that courtyard with a big Bible under his shoulder and a, and a giant red cross stitched on his shirt and started yelling at everyone that they must repent and believe in Jesus or they'd go to hell, I mean, that would have been a very different experience for him, wouldn't it? They would have, they would have arrested him right away or just rejected him out of hand. It, it, you know, it, it's a little bit like, I don't know if you've ever been to a Seattle Seahawks football game. Uh, I get to go once in a while. Man, before you go into the stadium, around the outside of the stadium, there's this sort of huge party happening. There's food vendors and, you know, people wearing their jerseys. And it's, it's just a lot of fun. And everyone's in a happy, festive mood. But in the mix of that, there's like three or four guys walking around with these giant placards in big, bold print that read, if you don't trust in Jesus, you're going to burn in hell. And on top of that, they have these megaphones and they go on nattering about going to hell and you have to turn and repent. And, and it's just so cringeworthy. It's just so, I mean, people avoid those guys like the plague, like the fires of hell. And even me, I want nothing to do with it. You see, if we're going to publicly identify ourselves as followers of Jesus, the first thing the first thing that's necessary is that we're reassuringly similar to the people around us. We should look like them. We should eat the kinds of food they eat. We should work at the places they work. We, we should, you know, do the same things for fun and for recreation. And we should interact with them in a million different ways. 
play sports together and, and go to, uh, you know, hiking and sit on the parent-teacher advisory together. And I mean, we, we should serve in our neighborhoods and go to parties and barbecues and hang out at the beach. And we should be good at what our neighbors are good at. We should value kinds of things like hard work and, and being diligent and resourceful and skillful. You know, as Christians in the world around us, and in our city, we should at least at first glance look reassuringly similar to all the people around us. Because that opens up an opportunity for them to say, oh, you're like me. You're just a regular person. You understand what my life is like. And I get a sense of what your life is like. That's the first thing. And yet at the same time, at the same time, we should also be startlingly different. The, the people around the fire knew that there was something different about Peter. In, in his case, it would have been his accent. You know, the Galileans had a very different accent than the people in Jerusalem. So it was obvious that he was different. In fact, every time that he denied that he knew Jesus, every word that he spoke came out with a kind of an accent that said, no, 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 we know you hanging with him because you have the same accent as he does. You know, for us, it isn't about how we talk. For us, the startling difference in our life should be how we live. Because if we don't live any different than everyone else around us, why would anyone even want to bother hanging out with us? I mean, if all we've got is fancy philosophical talk, fancy theology, if it's all just talk, 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 and we don't actually live any differently, then why would anyone want to spend a Sunday morning hanging out with us? Why would anyone want to join our community? We have to live startlingly differently than the world around us. Otherwise, there's nothing attractive about what we're doing. We should be marked as, as followers of Jesus with integrity. People should say, if I deal with a Christian in business or in my workplace or in the neighborhood, wherever it is, they are people of integrity. And we should be known as people who are incredibly generous with our time and our money and our resources and our skills and our kindness to people. People should say Christians are generous people. And we should, be, we should be known for our hospitality. We should be known as people who invite people into our lives and into our world and, and into our homes and we just love and care for them and, and, and get to know them. And we should be identified, we should be marked as people who have an uncommon willingness to forgive others, to seek reconciliation as hard as it is because of what Christ has done for us. And we should be a people who, who are known for living by a different sexual ethic than the world around us. In this world today, where, where there's all kinds of different views around that, we as followers of Jesus should be identified for living according to what the Bible teaches. That sex is meant to be done between one man and one woman in the context of the covenant of marriage. Those watching us should see how we respond in adversity and say, man, when they face hard things, there's still a sense of poise and calm and, and, and patience that I don't see among others because of their belief in God. And it should be evident to all that we care deeply for the needy in the world around us, in our city and, and in the world abroad. You know, when it comes to being the church, Karl Barth said this again, that we, we should live in a way that is radically dissimilar to the world's own manner, but which contradicts it in a way that is full of promise. I love that. I mean, we should live so differently that, that people say, yeah, but what they've got, 
I want to know more about it. You see, when we do these things, not perfectly, none of us is perfect, but, but, but when we do them honestly and authentically, when we're both reassuringly similar to the people around us, and at the same time, to the best of our ability, live startlingly differently than they do, then we should publicly identify ourselves as followers of Jesus every chance we get. We should, we should be visibly engaged in the culture around us. You should let people regularly know that you are a follower of Jesus. Not in some awkward, weird, uncomfortable way. Not in some kind of condescending, judgmental, I'm better than you way. Not in some kind of, I'm going to convert you right now, just hang on a minute kind of way. No, no, just in the casual, easygoing way, in the same way you would identify where you worked or, or where you lived. You're just part of who you are. You see, Christians often fall into one or two sort of categories when it comes to this question. The, the one category are those that we would call, uh, who are in what we would call the, the Christian bubble. There are people who whole world is filled with Christians. At least the, the primary, the important relationships in their world is all Christian. And so that means that, that those, you know, in their world that aren't Christians have never had a chance to, to get to know them, to, to find out, you know, what they're like. And it means that they don't have the chance to learn from those who aren't Christians, to affirm them, to serve them. And so the people in their world who aren't Christians, they might know a little bit about Christianity, but it's only what they hear out there. They, they never get a chance to meet and to know, to really know a real Christian. You know, Peter gets a bad rap in this story because he denied Christ. But to his credit, at least he showed up where people who didn't know Jesus were. The rest of the disciples, they just fled. They just went and hung out in their little bubble with other Christians hiding out so they didn't have to worry about denying Christ because they never met anyone who would even ask them the question. Peter, to his credit, was among those who would ask the question. Peter, on the other hand, I mean, he, he opted to take a, a, a route that many Christians do. It's the other category. is the blend-in approach. You know, many, many Christians live in a social world of non-Christians and they simply choose to blend in with everyone else, to not let people know that they're a follower of Jesus. This is what Peter does. I mean, when the servant girl accuses him or asks him if he's a follower of Jesus, he says, I mean, in verse 68, he says this, I neither know nor understand what you mean. Now, the word know there, I mean, it's, it's a theoretical word. He says, on a theoretical level, I don't even know what you're talking about. And the word understand, that's a, a practical world. He says, I, I, I've never even met the man. I mean, Peter totally and utterly denies not only Jesus, but a, a fundamental core tenet of who he is. And you see, the problem for us is that if we don't fairly soon identify ourselves as followers of Jesus, just in a casual, easygoing way, when we meet people, the second time that we talk to people or later, it gets more awkward for us. I mean, if you know someone for a year or two and never mentioned that you know Jesus, it's kind of awkward then to say, oh, actually, I follow Jesus Raises the question, well, if he's so important in your life, how is it that I've known you a year or two and you've never mentioned who Jesus is? See, this is the problem that Peter gets into. Since he didn't admit it the first time, the second time that they asked him, he has to deny it even more. In fact, in verse 70, it says that he denied it a second time. And the, and the word that Mark uses there for deny, it's the, the idea of ongoing in other words, he went on and on explaining to them, I don't know this man that you're talking about. How about you? 
I mean, when it comes to publicly identifying yourself with Jesus, which camp do you have a tendency to fall into? Is it the Christian bubble camp? Just hanging out with a bunch of people who are Christians all the time? Or is it the blend-in approach where you just kind of skim over that and don't let people know that you're a follower of Jesus? Yeah, I have to confess that for me, there have been times when I've been in both of those camps. And yet, if Jesus is so important in our lives, then we have to tell others about who he is. And it is tricky. There is a cost to telling people about being a follower of Jesus. But if that's who we are, if we're going to impact our city with the good news of Jesus and what he's done in our lives, then we have to be visibly engaged, publicly identifying ourselves to the world around us, to our coworkers and our friends and our family and, and the students at, at school, because it's through us. It's through relationships with us that people are going to finally understand, at least get a picture of what Jesus is really like, what it's all about. Otherwise, all that they'll ever get are the stereotypes that are floating around out there. And again, I'm not arguing that when you meet someone, you have to tell them your entire life story and explain the whole gospel and get them to lead, you know, pray a prayer of of commitment to follow Jesus. Not at all. I'm just saying that we need to say in a casual, easygoing, normal way that we're followers of Jesus and then allow it to go from there. Otherwise, the media or the crazies out there are going to identify and define for us who we are. You know, 40 years ago, 40 years ago, most of us knew people who were part of the LGBTQ community. We just didn't know that we knew them because they were just so careful about revealing who their identity was to us. But over the past 40 years, 50 years, as they have told very gladly the world who they are, it's broken down all kinds of stereotypes. I mean, I remember back in the 80s, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine who told me that he was gay. Man, when he told me that, it totally changed my my stereotype, my understanding of, of what a gay person was like. And the same is true when it comes for Christians. These days, chances are many, many people in our world know Christians. They just don't know that they know Christians. And it's as we just publicly identify ourselves and say, this is who I am, this is what I'm, what I'm doing, that we begin to break down all kinds of stereotypes. And people start to say, oh, that's different than what I thought. Certainly different than what I hear from out there. You know, people who aren't sure about Christianity. I mean, if... They're not sure if there's really worth following Jesus. They need more than an argument. They need to walk alongside and be in relationship with genuine, real, kind, regular, ordinary people who know and follow Jesus. Because too often, too often we think that evangelism is about downloading all of this information. If they just knew enough, then they would follow Jesus. But more often than not, it's through those significant relationships that the gospel grows in people's lives and they come to know Jesus. You know, I, I had a friend uh, who, uh, back when I was in graduate school, was a Christian guy. And he said, uh, he said to me, he, he told me this story, he said he made good friends with a guy who wasn't a follower of Jesus. And they laughed and hung out. They had such a good time together. And his friend who wasn't a follower of Jesus would slap him on the back and say, you're my best Christian friend. And they'd laugh and he'd slap him on the back and say, yeah. Well, you're my best pagan friend. And they just had such a good time. He said, they laughed about it all the time. But eventually, he said, his best pagan friend became one of his best Christian friends. 
was through that kind of relationship that this guy came to know Jesus. Alan, uh, Alan Creter uh, observed that Christianity grew explosively. 40% a decade, 40% a decade for the first 300 years in the midst of a very hostile environment. In fact, here's what he writes. He says this, The early Christians did not engage in public preaching. It was too dangerous. There are practically no evangelists or missionaries whose names we know. The early Christians had no missions boards. They did not write treatises about evangelism. After Nero's persecution in the mid-first century, the churches in the Roman Empire closed their worship services to visitors. Deacons stood at the church's doors serving as bouncers, checking to see that no unbaptized person, no lying informer could come in. Imagine that. And yet, he writes, the church was growing. Officially, it was a superstitio, a superstition. Prominent people scorned it. Neighbors discriminated against the Christians in, the, in countless petty ways. Periodically, the church was subjected to pogroms. It was hard to be a Christian. And still the church grew. Why, he asks. And he says, he says the church grew because it was attractive. In fact, he goes on to say this. He says people were fascinated by it, drawn to it by a, like a magnet. Why? Because of how they lived in the midst of that culture. Because, because of their concern for the weak and the poor. Because of the integrity that they had in the face of persecution. Because of the way they shared economically between one another. Because of their sacrificial love, not only for one another, but for their enemies. Because of the quality of the common life that they shared together. It attracted non-believers to the gospel. But through all kinds of personal relationships as their lives connected with the people around them. And when they did, that opened an opportunity for them to share the gospel. See, the question that always comes up when we come to that moment in the conversation, when we have to decide, will I identify myself as a follower of Jesus or not, is this question. What if? What if? That's always the question that comes to mind in those moments. What if I identify as a follower of Jesus and they roll their eyes? What if they... They laugh at me. What if I tell them and they, they scorn me? They have disdain for me. What if they lock me out of the, the group? What if I identify myself as a follower of Jesus and I lose privileges or opportunities or, or career advancement? I mean, what if? And frankly, that kind of thing happens. If it happens to you, you won't be the first it happens to, and nor will you be the last. But to be frank, also in our culture, compared to what it is in most places around the world and through most of history, the cost for us is nothing compared to what many others have faced. There is a cost, but often we think it will be much worse than it actually is. The 18th century uh, pastor, theologian Charles Spurgeon, he writes this, the worst evils of life are those which do not exist except in our imagination. If we had no troubles but real troubles, we should have not a tenth part of our present sorrows. You know, when those moments come where we have to decide, rather than what if and thinking all the things that could go wrong, maybe we should ask a different set of questions. What if in our city we slowly and surely continue to challenge the stereotypes of what a Christian should look like so that at least people have a, a level ground from which to consider following Jesus? What if? 
What if the people in our city kept meeting tens and dozens of followers of Jesus who were just regular, ordinary, following Jesus kind of people, but it was enough that they started to say, there's something about these people, and there's a bunch of them, and I want to know more about them. What if, as you identify publicly as a follower of Jesus, God is already at work in that person's heart and life through the work of the Holy Spirit, and he just nudges them a little further down that road of considering what it means to know Jesus. And what if, what if by you publicly identifying as a follower of Jesus, God, in his timing, in a gradual, gentle, beautiful way, opens the door for you to walk with someone and to introduce them to what it means to know and to follow Jesus. You know, the other day, one of our staff members went into uh, one of the local coffee shops here, and, and as they were standing there, they just began chatting, and, and the person behind the counter said, where do you work? And they said, Oh, at Ridge Church. And the person behind the counter lit up. They just said, oh, we have all kinds of people coming here from Ridge. And they had this great conversation back and forth. And it turns out that one of their friends goes to our church and been sending them stuff and saying, check this stuff out. And, and, and the person from our staff uh, smiled at the end and said, well, maybe we'll see you there uh, at church. And uh, the person, they just smiled. They, they didn't commit to anything. But who knows what happens? Who knows where God works as we together just continue to say we're followers of Jesus. You know, Peter missed his chance. Now, granted, the stakes are pretty high for him, so not too much judgment here. But let's not us miss our opportunity. You know, you, you should decide today, today, that every opportunity that you have to publicly identify yourself as a follower of Jesus you just a casual, relaxed, not weird way, just, just to let people know, you should decide today, every chance you get, you'll take it. You'll take it. And just allow God to use that as the part of the bigger thing that he's doing in people's lives for the sake of the gospel in our city. Would you take a moment, bow your head, let's pray together. Well, God, thank you for, again, this story in the life of Peter. God, we thank you that this is so raw and real that Peter was a real guy who struggled around this thing, and, and rightfully so. But Father, God, we know that, that Peter wept bitterly at the end. He wept bitterly because he denied Jesus. He denied publicly who he was and what God had done, what you had done in his life through Jesus. And, and Father, we don't want to be like that. Father, we don't want to get to the end of our days and and look back and say, man, I missed all kinds of opportunities along the way just to, just to let people know this is who I am. This is what Jesus has done in my life. This is the hope that I have because of him. And so, Father, I pray for each of us, Lord, that we would, that we would find ourselves in those moments just finding your spirit leading us to say, this is who I am. This is who Jesus is. And, Father, that in your grace and in your kindness, that would just naturally lead to opportunities, natural, easy-going conversations, Lord, about who you are and what you've done. Father, so that, so that your name would be glorified. Father, so that we would be true to who it is that you have made us to be. And Father, so that others might know who you are. So we pray this all now in Jesus' name. Amen.